Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Now over the, uh, we're in December, over this month now, three over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at a new series together. It'll come up behind me, it's called Emmanuel, God With Us. We sang that song together this morning, a new song we introduced, Emmanuel, God With Us. And um, we are going to explore together what is often referred to as the Christmas story. I say Christmas story because there's more to it. And it's not just for Christmas. I think it's throughout the year. The passages that we look at are so fundamental to building our faith in God, yes? And um, over the next... Uh, three of the next four Sundays, I personally am going to be bringing this series. Um, this was a personal decision, and I just want to share just how I got to this point, because it was in the most unusual circumstances that this came onto my, onto my heart and onto my mind. Um, because back in August, way back in August, I decided that it was right to take some time off. Don't we all need time off? A holiday, a break, I mean, I'm already looking towards Christmas break and Christmas holiday and a few more weeks off. But I was away, I was in Canada on holiday, seeing some friends and just enjoying the sights. Three or four days in, I suddenly get a thought coming into my heart and my mind about Christmas. And you can imagine my question when I was on holiday, it was, why? Why, God, when I'm trying to switch off, are you switching me back on? <laughs> I'm trying to take some time to rest and recuperate and my thought and my heart and my mind is now dwelling over <coughs> this process or this thought process around Christmas. And so I allowed that thought to permeate over the last few months to the point that we're reaching at now. Now is the time to share it. Now for many, um, Seeing the nativity, we, like, we all have seen a nativity, we're going to be seeing a nativity in the upcoming weeks. Seeing a nativity, singing Christmas songs, um, songs created for this time of year, gets people into the so-called Christmas spirit. I know that's true of my family, I know, especially my mum, she loves, she says to me, I love Christmas, I love decorating the house, as I've just shared, she loves the songs and everything like that, and she says, it gets me into the Christmas spirit. It's like there's joy, there's exuberance, there's happiness, there's excitement. Of course, on the other side, there's also stress, there's panic, there's being overwhelmed, there's like, have I got everything ready? Have I got all the ingredients for the Christmas meal? Is all the presents wrapped up? Is everything just so? But I was thinking about that Christmas spirit. What, what does that mean? Christmas spirit, what is this? And so over the next three, four weeks, we're going to be, what I'm hoping is we're going to be doing is we're going to be unpacking something new. As we look at so-called familiar passages, something new will be revealed to us. Certain aspects that we may not have considered before when we look at these accounts, when we look at these stories. You know, we, and these, these passages, I looked, I looked over them sometimes, <clears throat> Not every year. Sometimes I go through the Bible in a year. Who does that? Go through the Bible in a year? Yeah. Um, I'm currently just reading through Psalms as my daily reading. But we come to these passages in the beginning of Matthew and Luke especially, which we're going to be looking at. 
And we've become so familiar with what many regard as the Christmas narrative that we can become numb to its significance. Yeah? These passages, as I've already said, are not just for one season of the year, but alongside the rest of Scripture, they are so useful, so fundamental to building our faith. And that's something that I want to unlock over the next few weeks. My goal is very simple. That at least once during this series, or better yet, every single week that we look at it, each one of us walks away having learnt one thing new. One thing that we've not, not considered before. One thing that we like, that makes me think more about this. That, that makes me want to think more about what God was doing in that period of time the significance of it. So my question to you as Centre Church and as guests today, are you ready to learn something new? Yeah? So we're going to dive in. Today we're looking at what I've called it as the parents of the promise. Uh, title gives it away. We're looking at Mary and Joseph today. But we're going to turn, um, before we turn, actually before we turn to our passage, I just want to give a little bit of background to this moment. I always like looking into the culture of the time, looking at what was going on in that moment, because I think it gives us a bit of a flavor of that situation and circumstance and help us understand and gauge the, the narrative going on at the time. Now, there was a period before these accounts that we have before us, before anything was recorded, during which, so far as we know, God did not speak. No scripture was written or recorded. And this is often referred to as 400 years of silence. Just imagine that for a second. 400 years where there was no, no one heard anything from God. There was no, nothing recorded of what God was doing. Nothing. 400 years of no, no move of God. Before the announcement of Jesus' birth, that we read in the Gospels and that we're going to read today, we see that the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to a priest named Zechariah in the temple of the Lord. Now, he was old in age, and his wife Elizabeth was barren, and the angel just came to Zechariah and said, your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. We, all, we know him as John the Baptist. John, who would prepare the way, prepare the way for Christ. And so now we have the joy, and it is a joy. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Yes. I love the excitement in the room. <laughs> we are going to turn, I've prepared it for you. You don't have to do anything, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. It's come up behind me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 26 all the way through to verse 38. Then I'm going to skip a few verses, and then we're going to read uh, from verses 46 all the way to 56. There's a lot of reading today. Now, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren in her sixth, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. Then the angel left her. We then read in those, the next few verses that she actually goes to be with Elizabeth, and it confirms what the angel was saying. And then I wanted to read these next verses because I think sometimes they're not looked at. It's Mary's song of praise. Mm. And let's just read over these words and what she said. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. There's a lot there. Even in just a few verses, there's a lot there. And I, even as I tried to unpack something new, I'm not even going to be able to get into everything so deep within these few verses but I will try to reveal something new to us today. We're going to look at Mary first. And we read in this passage that we've just gone through that she is a virgin. She is pledged, or another other statement, she is betrothed to be married. That in itself is an interesting concept, especially when you look at the culture. Betrothal often took place back then, often after puberty shortly after puberty. For this reason, it has been believed, many scholars believe, that Mary may have, been, may have been a young teenager at this time, maybe between 12 and 14 years of age. Now, during betrothal, a man and a woman were considered as husband and wife. It's almost like an engaged couple today. You get engaged with somebody, many people are already in their minds thinking, you're already married, even though you're not officially married, you are to be married. And even though they were considered husband and wife, they would still live apart. There were no sexual relations between them. They, they were apart from each other a lot of the time. 
Now, if the wife proved unfaithful to her husband during this period, she could be stoned or publicly humiliated. Very interesting. Now, we see, recording in Scripture, this incredible moment occur. After 400 years, where there was no apparent or recorded move of God, we see the angel Gabriel, who had appeared to Zechariah six months previously, now appeared to Mary. Now, significantly, it was not in a temple. It was not to a priest. But it was to this woman, Mary, right where she was. And for me, already, it's pointing at things to come. God is not limited to a temple. His presence goes beyond that. The question that I ask is, I always ask this when I'm reading through some scripture, is what, was go- what were they thinking at that moment? Put yourselves, if you can, in the thought processes of Mary. This young, this teenager at this time that has this encounter with this angel, saying all these things, what must she have felt in that moment? What would have gone through her head? I think it's questions of initially, what is this? What am I seeing? Is this real? What does it mean? Or often the question we can ask in a lot of situations, why? Why me? Now the angel said some incredible words. She, he referred to her as highly favoured. Highly favoured. Now why was she highly favoured? Because God had chosen to pour out on her to bestow on her special grace and favor. She would be, would be the mother of the Messiah. It was given to her without any special merit of her own. It was all part of God's plan. It's not based on who she was, but on who she would become. You may be a young teenager now, but you're going to be a mother of the Messiah, the mother of the promise. You are highly favoured. And in, in the statement, as the angel Gabriel compared, continued to speak, he confirmed Jesus' greatness, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. It's a statement of his deity. Jesus was coming. The Messiah was coming. God on earth. Now Mary's response, I actually chuckle when I look at it. Mary's response is actually understandable. It's almost like, how, how, wait a minute, you're, you're going to say, I'm going to give, how am I going to give birth? Wait a minute, I'm a virgin. Like, how is this possible? How can I give birth? I'm a virgin. No, I, I've, not had, I've not laid with a man. How is it that now I'm now going to give birth to what you call is going to be the Messiah? Now, her response is understandable, isn't it? given her situation and circumstance. And it was not a lack of faith. It was merely just confusion as what she was going through. She was not officially married. And as I said, she had not had any sexual relationship with a man. Her reality conflicted with the promise. That is the focus today. Her reality conflicted with the promise. Have we had that in ourselves? When God says something, and we're like, but my reality speaks something different. 
God, I don't think you understand the situation I'm in. Mary was confused at this moment, and it's understandable why in such a young girl or teenager. She didn't ask for a sign, and the amazing thing is, God gave her one anyway by sharing how her relative Elizabeth, once barren, was now expecting. And as we were reading, it was a clear demonstration that nothing is impossible for God. What we think is a limitation is not a limitation for God. What we think is a hindrance to us is not a hindrance to God. And it's a comfort for Mary. And I think it should be a comfort for us. What we think is impossible, what we think is unimaginable, what we think when God asks us something or speaks us a promise or a truth, and you're thinking that's unattainable, is not for him. He is above what we think is possible. He is above what we think is even not possible. And sometimes it takes us a moment or a period to move from confusion in thought to faith in action. Yes? I say that's like a mountain and valley moment. We can have times when we're on the mountain and it's like we can see it all and our faith is so big and so strong. But then we have those moments when we're in the valley and we can't see that far ahead. But God is the same God in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. And his perspective is greater than our own. And even in this moment, after 400 years of silence, he was showing how great he is, how great he would be to come. That he would, not only is he declaring a promise over Mary of what is coming, but he also was giving comfort by revealing to her how he's already moving. Mary's response is something we can learn from. At such a young age, she just submissively responds to God's will. She says, okay, God, I trust in you. As you have said, so it will be. And then she goes off to be with Elizabeth, where she witnessed the truth of what the angel Gabriel had said and responds in the only way that she could, worship and praise. She does not return home, as we read in this account, for three months later. She was with Elizabeth, I think, and many, when you look look into this, many believe that she was with Elizabeth until Elizabeth gave birth. And then she returned home. See, when God does what we perceive is impossible, there is only one thing we can do. There's only one appropriate response. Worship, praise, thankfulness, gratitude, adoration to the King of Kings, Lords of Lords. Yeah? And it may not be a big, obvious thing, and that's why we have to have eyes ready to see, ears ready to hear what God is doing. But even the small things can be significant. And in every single moment, he deserves the praise. Yeah? Now, I want us to spare a thought for Joseph right now. Oh, Joseph. What was he thinking? And so let us go and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Again, I've done 
I prepared this in advance, all for your benefit. We're going to look at verses 18 through to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, again, just looking back at the cultural there, let's look, looking back at Jewish law, it regarded an engaged couple as virtually married. Now, I've already shared this. Women were usually married at that time at the age of 13 to 14 years of age. So this is where we get the belief that Mary was a teenager at that time. Now, normally there was a one-year period of waiting that followed betrothal before the con consummation of marriage. This could only be broken by divorce. Now, Joseph, as we read here, discovered that his wife-to-be was pregnant. We read how Mary was with Elizabeth, and now we read here how all it says was that it was discovered that she was pregnant. Imagine what was going through his head. Just think about Joseph's perspective for a second. Now, I'll put my hands up. I'm not a married man. I don't have a wife. I don't have a pregnant wife, so I don't know what it's, what it's like, okay. And I had to do some research into this in terms of like, and I've discovered that when, when women are pregnant, sometimes they show at different times. Okay, it's not consistent. With each pregnancy is different. But about three, three or so months has passed since Angel had received this news from the angel, been with Elizabeth for three, over three months now, coming back. I'm piecing together the story. This, this is not literal fact, okay? I'm just piecing it together. But what I'm thinking is, Joseph discovered that his wife was pregnant. What was he seeing? Was Mary, did Mary look different? Did she have that pregnant mother glow? I hear there's a glow. I, I'm... <laughs> was she even starting to show? And I imagine his question was, would be almost similar to Mary, but in a different circumstance. How did this happen? Has she been unfaithful to me? What would people think or say? I mean, we have reality TV today, and America, I think they have the likes of, I think it's Jerry, 
Jeremy Springer or something like that. We used to have Jeremy Kyle back in the day, where you have these people coming on and they have DNA tests. I don't think they had DNA tests back then. So all they could do was what they see and hear. And I can imagine Joseph, likewise, was confused. I was pledged to be married to this woman, and now she's pregnant. Has she been unfaithful to me? And so based on his perception of events, he had every right to divorce her, didn't he? The fact that he had in mind to do it privately, for one, it preserves his righteousness. He's following the law obediently and faithfully. But for me, it speaks something else. He's still demonstrating compassion to Mary. He didn't want to, to show her in public, you know, in the public, disown her publicly, but to do it in private. It still showed he cared for her, even though at this point he didn't understand. He was just considering to do what he thought was right. Now we read that he has his own encounter in a dream. And this encounter, this dream, was enough to bring comfort to him, to confirm the divine nature of this conception, and the significance being was that it was God with us, Emmanuel, in a dream. That must be one vivid dream, I'll tell you that. Joseph no doubt needed this reassurance that Mary had not disgraced him nor been unfaithful. Again, as we, with Mary, Joseph's reality conflicted with the promise that was to come. Yet the angel brought reassurance. God always brings reassurance. And we have it day by day by this. His word brings reassurance. When we are confused, when we are troubled, I mean, they had manuscripts, but only of the Old Testament back then. We have the entire Bible available to us, and it can bring reassurance and comfort, no matter what we're walking through. And I wanted to turn to one such passage that has encouraged me over the years in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. We may know it well. Do not be anxious about anything, but... It, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a comfort. That's a reassurance, right? See, we can often allow our reality to stop us believing for and stepping into the promise that God has for us rather than being distraught over a particular situation, we should seek to take it to God in prayer. When we come to God, when we come to his word, and when we allow it to speak to us, peace follows. Why? Because we replace our perspective, what we think is our reality, with God's truth. And I was weighing up whether to share this or not. I'm going to share just a personal story of, what, of something that's going on in my life and how time upon time I had to turn to, to God's word. Seven years ago, 
I became very unwell. I was losing weight. I lost a stone within three weeks. I did not know what was going on. Went to the doctors. They did a series of blood tests. My heart rate was twice the normal speed, and it was going 24-7. My fitness had been destroyed at this point. And the doctors simply said, you have an overactive thyroid. If you don't know, the thyroid's a gland up here. It was just, it, I, I, I say now, it was working too well. <laughs> um, but they said, we need to get you on medication ASAP. And it's a good job that you came to us when you did, otherwise this could have been a lot more serious. And so from that point onwards, I was on, for a period of time, 14 tablets a day for the next few months to get everything under control, to get my heart rate under control and my thyroid back operating into its normal level. I was on medication for 18 months, and then they start this process of weaning you off, okay? And they said, there's a 50-50 chance. A 50% chance you could relapse, and a 50% chance everything's okay. So I came off medication and I instantly relapsed. So I went back on medication for another 18 months. Again, we tried to come off. I lasted a couple of months before then. The blood test came through. You're relapsing again. So I had to go back on the medication for another 18 months. And then the third time comes around and they say, look, you cannot keep doing through this process. If you relapse again, it's not healthy for your body, so you may need to consider having your thyroid removed and being on medication for life. So, okay. I said, well, let's, let's just try once more. So we come off the medication. I get to six months. They do a blood test. And they say, Thomas, you're on the verge of relapse, but you're on the, right on the line. So we, uh, we do what we do with normal, with people that come to us for the first time. We'll give you one more month. I said, okay, let's have one more month. I said, I'm, I'm, throughout this, you know, over three-year period, I have been slowly building in that moment of like trusting God because at the start, I was scared what was going on. I was concerned. I was worried. I was anxious. I was fearful. I even remember going to our life prayer at that time, shaking and saying, can you please pray because I don't know what's going on. And then this period comes up. We're going to give you a month, one more extra month. And I was like, okay, that month may be what's needed for God to move. I get through that month. We have a blood test. I don't hear anything. It's like, what's going on? So I call the doctors. I get the receptionist. They check my result. Oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's clear. I was like, praise God. We've got through it. Isn't it amazing? And so for the last two years, I've been in cloud nine in that situation, thinking, speaking to people about how good this is. Now, the doctors do their due diligence, and they all, I keep going in every, three, every few months to have a blood test, and each time they're coming back all clear. I received a call last month. You're relapsing. We need to get you back on medication. Two years later. Now, I can allow my reality to hold me down, or I can learn from what God has taught me the last several years as I went through that period in the first time. And so I simply said to the doctor, she said, I'm sorry, we've got to start the process again. It's another 18 months on medication. We'll get you into a consulting appointment and all that. Like, 
And at the time I was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but I was like, okay, fine, you, you do what you need to do, I'll follow the program, it's no problem. I came to God in prayer, and I did said one thing to him. It's in your hands. I'm not going to allow this to take any more space in my mind, any more space in my heart. I commit it to you. What will be will be. It's your will be done. But I'm not going to allow this to stop me walking with you. And so that's, I've given that to your feet. I've laid it down, and I'm not going to keep on walking. Yeah? Our reality can hold us back. And sometimes it has to be a, a mindset that we take, and sometimes it takes a while, to, like I said, to move from confusion in thought to faith, living it out on a daily basis, or faith in action. But in that moment, there's a decision to be made to say, God, I trust you. As Mary said, I don't understand, but I'm going to walk in what you say. As Joseph made that decision, he had an encounter with God and carried on. And trust and faith. And before I close, I want to turn our eyes to Psalm 13. It's not, it's not on the slide behind us. Like I said, I've been going through Psalms, and I've been reading through them, and then I find myself stopping and then going back a few Psalms and rereading again, and then stopping and then going back and rereading again. Because, again, like a lot of Scripture, we can just read over it, and we don't realize what we're taking in. And Psalm 13 says... How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes while I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But... But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. How did Joseph respond? Faithful obedience. Not disowning Mary, but taking her as his wife. And in unison together, they became the parents of the promise. They did not allow their reality to get in the way of the promise. The promise that was not just for them, but for you and me. What does this mean for us? What can we learn? We can so easily be put off from the things that we don't understand. I put my hand up. There are things that I don't understand, and I start searching for answers. And when I can't find an answer it kind of throws me in a bit of dismay. And we can, can often res be restricted by the reality of what we see, hear, and understand in this world. But God breaks the mold. God brings a different perspective. And God does speak and is speaking to us. The question is, are we listening and taking in what he is saying? Are we replacing shock and doubt with reverence and acceptance and praise and worship? This is my one take from this whole account of Mary and Joseph. This is my one take. 
I find it amazing. I do so amazing how whereas sin entered the world through the disobedience of man, Eve being deceived and taking that fruit, and Adam doing likewise, the promise, the good news, and it is so good for all mankind, would be birthed through the faithful obedience of man. Through the woman of Mary and the man of Joseph who resisted the reality of their cultural norms and chose to believe in the promise and favor of God. Even after 400 years of silence, they chose God. My question to you this morning is, what is God speaking to you? Are you listening? Is it in conflict with your reality? If so, maybe this message is a call for you to come back to God in prayer and allow his peace, allow his word, allow his truth and promise to once again fill and overflow your heart. We're all going through situations, I, I believe that. We're all going through our own thing. I've just shared one little thing that I'm walking through and it's significant to me, but I believe we'll all go through our valley moments. But God is speaking in every single one of them. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.